Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWD B860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, my guess is you you went to sleep and didn't watch the game. I had a hard time Thursday night to sleep football, after. baby. I, I, I had a hard time sleeping after the game. I don't know how I'm supposed to sleep when the game goes. Like Why that. did you have a hard time sleeping after the game? Because I got excited for a football game. I get oh, into God. it. Really? Yeah. Tell me, like, okay. Well, I mean, the Giants lost forty to nothing. But like, tell me yeah. if the <laughs> sorry for shots early. <laughs> like, tell me though, like, if the Giants are like playing. On... That's okay. I'll save my shots to, for two weeks from now. Why is that when the Eagles? Play Michigan the Rutgers. That, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. You've already moved on. Yep. You're, you're mm-hmm. off of the pro team. You're, yeah. You're but like, if if your team played like on Sunday night or mm-hmm. like Monday night, and they have a, a big win, <laughs> they did. Play on Sunday. Yeah, but you could have gone it to bed go after the well. second quarter for that game. <laughs> I wanted to keep thinking that the Eagles game was over, and it just wasn't over. Um, did you catch some of the highlights of the game? I'm not going to ask you. Yeah. To watch the game. Okay. Okay. So, what was your take watching the highlights of the game? The defense has problems. Okay. Now, now the defense has problems because people were hurt. So I, you really can't judge based on that. But the defense has holes. Right am, I, am I allowed to voice concerns about a 2-0 team? Last year, I wasn't allowed to voice concerns. You about voiced it. concerns going into the Super Bowl last year. So go ahead. That's your thing. But they were they proved to be legitimate concerns in the Super mm, Bowl. So right. like you could in say, the Super, you know, you, can, you, you could say that. Say. But since I said it all season long that I was worried about it and it occurred. So, yeah, I mean, look. Obviously, lots of injuries. I mean, you had three starters on defense out last night. You lost more in the game. Um, they thought that N'Kobe Dean would would be their kind of middle linebacker there and run the defense. He's on uh, IR right now. Avante Maddox went out last night with the shoulder. That's probably the most concerning. James Bradbury and Reed Blankenship will probably be back after the 10-day layoff. But, I mean, there were concerns about the defense to begin with. It looks like if they don't get home in terms of pressure from the defensive line, mm-hmm. which at times looks dominant, I mean... Jordan Davis has looked like a monster. Jalen Carter does not look like a rookie. Josh Sweat has played very well. Uh, But if the Eagles don't get pressure, their linebackers and secondary are very vulnerable. Well, but hasn't that been the problem with the Eagles for years? Linebacker. Yeah, Yeah, well, look. That that has always been the problem. You have to you have to go back to Jeremiah Trotter. That's the last time they really prioritized linebacker. They don't they build from the lines out and. The linebackers are sort of the position that kind of gets shafted a little bit in terms of what they do. And when you lose your starter, you have two backups in where people weren't sure about the depth to begin with. It's going to be exploited by tight ends like TJ Hawkinson. Now, thankfully, you know, Minnesota was their own worst enemy. I mean, they had four turnovers. I said, can you explain to me the rule uh, with Justin Jefferson fumbling out of the end zone? Did you see that play? No. Okay, so Justin Jefferson was going in for a touchdown at the end of the first half, basically, and he fumbled the ball as he was crossing the goal line out the back of the end zone, and so the Eagles get the ball back on the 20. It looked like they were going to kind of run it out. They popped two runs with Boston Scott, then through it and Jake Elliott I mean he's been fantastic he hit a 61 yard field goal to put the Eagles up 13 to 7 at the half they they score on the first 
the, they score first in the second half, and all of a sudden it's 20-7 to seven before you know what's going on. But it all changed with Justin Jefferson fumbling out the back of the end zone and the Eagles getting it. You, you know. Yeah, and? I just don't understand the rule that the the defense gets it after the offense drives all the way down the field because it's what, what would you what would you rather have the ball you, you I'm just can't, surprised what, it's not on it back the one. To, would you put it back to the 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 line of scrimmage I'm, I don't know where I'd put it I'm I'm just surprised that the defense gets would you it. would you rather it be a safety I don't know what I would rather it be I just surprised well you have to have some okay so it happened I picture you probably wanted to throw something at your television set and your brain never processed Hmm. What would I like to have? No, I this actually... Is, I'm not okay with this. No. And it, it never went beyond that. My thought process was exactly the opposite. I knew the rule, which already doesn't make sense to me, right. but I knew it was going to benefit my team, so I wouldn't care last night. But the rule still doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what I'd prefer. I didn't think about it, but I just knew the Eagles were getting the ball back. See, see this is this is what I don't understand about you. So, so you Only sit there, one thing? No, no, it's one of many. But you, you literally have a thought of, this is wrong. And it never crosses your mind to say, what would make it better? What would be right in my mind? It's just, this is wrong. It, it's like it's like the shift. Like, you hate it. I don't know. Did you hate the shift or not hate the shift? I didn't care. Well, I, 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 <laughs> See, I didn't hate it with the passion well, that you Well, I guess that's it. the bigger problem, it, it, is that often you're just on the fence with it. But this sure. particular, you hate this rule that you just cited. I don't hate it. I don't understand it. You reward the defense after the offense drives all the way down the field. Okay, well, but if you don't understand, well, th th there's nothing to understand. They made a rule. They're here. If this happens, then this is the consequence. It, either you like it or you don't like it or you don't care. I, I don't. You, ob you obviously have an opinion on it that, that you don't. I don't care it. about the solution. I don't understand the rule. I care more about what I saw on the field. What would you prefer happen? Uh, I'd probably just mark it out at the one uh, and leave it with the offense. That's what would happen if it was fumbled yeah, on the well, one that's yard. Why, or, that's why you're if not it, running. If it was fumbled at the <laughs> one yard or two yard line, the offense mm -hmm. would have it at the one yard or two line. But because it gets fumbled through the end zone, the right. defense gets it. It just doesn't make sense to me. But it's fine. I don't really cared that much i didn't think it'd be like a huge topic well on we just show. spent we just we just spent two minutes it wasn't my plan to do that i got like an inquis like an inquisition about what although was, you asked the question I, because i it was a state i have I my, my solution is that's the right thing to do if you can't hold on to the it's either that or a safety those are those okay. are your two right choices putting it on the one yard line because they fumbled it okay well <laughs> you fumbled it okay i have no strong take on That's what it. the result should be it just doesn't make sense to me anyway the eagles right. had 48 runs and 23 passes in the it, it kind of changed in the second quarter that the passing game still looks out of sync they they get a couple deep passes you, you saw alshon uh or alshon aj wow uh, look at you god, dating yourself my god i'm still tired from well watching uh, here, the game here here's night. the thing i can solve this problem right now did aj catch the ball okay he did actually but it was okay, called so, back uh, right so then it, then why would you confuse it with alshon who would drop the ball <laughs> i just the offensive passing game still looks out of sync but they they mm -hmm. picked it up with the run game they went with that zone read offense they had a 16 play drive that had 13 runs and took up nine minutes to put them up 10 7 and they really never looked back they rushed for 259 yards in the game I mean, it was just dominant. What, I, what I'm confused about is when I checked around halftime, Devontae Smith had, what, four catches for 123 yards? No, not not at halftime. At halftime, he had the, the one catch for 
53 yards that went for the touchdown early in mid, the game. Mid third quarter, is mid, that fair? Yeah, he caught the the deep pass in the in the third quarter. And then um, why'd they go away from him? Because they yeah, ran the ball a lot. They it was they ran the ball down the Vikings' throat and really took time off the clock and went up. But they, mm-hmm. there was a drive. The drive right after AJ had the conversation with Jalen. And look, I, I don't you have a star wide receiver, he's gonna demand the ball. You see it all the time in the NFL. As long as the team works it out, okay. Mm-hmm. But so I don't I didn't get as upset about that or as big of a deal as it was made. You know, you see the sensation, you, the clickbait stuff that you don't like. Of the Eagles have problems; they're fighting on the sideline. I didn't. There take you it, go. I didn't take it that way, but mm-hmm. they did target him a few times on the drive right after that, including the the. I mean, it was a great throw by Jalen to the corner of the end zone that was negated because of a holding call on Rashad Penny. So they did try to go to him afterwards. Look, there's only so many footballs to send around there. So you've got Dallas Goddard, who got six catches for 20-something yards, not really his normal standard. Last night was the running game and and Devontae. I mean, DeAndre Swift's homecoming for a local boy, first game playing at home, 175 yards and a touchdown. Not a, not a bad way to start things. Not bad. Nah. I agree. What I don't understand is how he only got three touches the week before. Uh, and it was because Kenneth Gamewell was out this week. Now, we'll see Boston Scott and yeah, the that, concussion protocol. Yeah, but still didn't make sense. You, you brought him in here from Detroit for a specific purpose, and somehow he got three touches in the first game. Made it no didn't sense. make any sense to do. No. Made, it made no sense before he had the night that he had last night. Right. Makes even less sense after the night. So there are certainly questions about this team, but there's still 2-0. and oh. You know, we didn't even talk. I complained all season, last season about special teams. As good as Jake Elliott is, they allowed a long return early in the game, but forced mm-hmm. a fumble at the end of that return, so it didn't hurt them. Britton Covey fumbled one of the punts, but they recovered the fumble. These are the kind of things that drove you nuts that I pointed out all season that bit them at the end of the year that they still haven't corrected. And that's my concern, is that they have... Separate from the injury, they still have concern. Like, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, we'll see if they correct it. That's what Sirianni says they'll do. They'll get back and correct it. It just doesn't seem like with special teams, with the kick coverage and the return game, they've, they've done that yet. Well, that's always your concern. I, I, I don't remember a year that you were not concerned about special teams. Has it cost them? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Okay. I mean, it, it's just, it's, some, but look, which, have, which of the three sides are you confident about right now? Even though they're two and zero, which of the three sides do you sit there and go, "Wow"? And, and do you sit there and then look and I know it's after one game. Do you look at the Cowboys and say, "Ooh"? I'm confident that well, the Cowboys were playing the Giants. I'm confident okay. that the Eagles' offense will figure it out. Uh, I, you know, it's new coordinator. Same thing with the defense, new coordinator. But I'm concerned about the injuries. They've had more injuries early in this season than they had all of last season. You know, for everybody to talk about the soft schedule last year and the year that they had they were healthy and so that- here's something i heard le- le- yesterday did you know that they have an analytics department yeah and one of the things that they were focusing on is injuries in a year after a super bowl and do you know who's running it apparently jeffrey Lurie's son. son yeah he he's gonna end up being the owner of the team i mean he's going to be well, well if you yeah if, if he owns it long enough chances are that he's going to does he have the qualifications to be running an analytics department? They seem. I don't to know be, what his background is. That's why I'm asking. They seem I, I just be, heard this for the first time yesterday. 
there are concerns about it, but they seem to be putting him through all of the different areas. I, I know he interned with the NFL when he was younger, and he's had different... Inter- interned where? In in the NFL, in the league office, I, I believe, I had seen. and Because this was a bigger story last year or two years ago when it, it was that he was going to have a more prominent role in the organization, and what did it mean? I don't know enough about him to know, I but I do know that that's the direction it's going. So Eagles fans better get used to that. He will be the future owner of the team. Fine. That always concerns me. Look, in any business, when somebody takes over from their parent, mom or dad, it's concerning to me. But in a professional sports league, if he want to groom him to be the next owner, that's fine. But putting him in a position of analytics or coaching or something like that is something that always concerns me. He's only... He's only what? I think he's like 27, 28 years old, right? Yeah, he's not not very old. Um, speaking of, before we get to Tom Hausnick and talk some baseball, uh, speaking of owners and teams, you're a Giants fan, so you're no Commanders fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you have any reaction or care that Joel Embiid was hanging out uh, at the Commanders game? With no, Jeffrey? not at all. You don't no, care? Why? Because you, you think he's going to go play for the Wizards? No. Uh, no, just, he's hanging I, I, I out with the owner. He sees the commanders. <laughs> no, the, the bigger problem is Josh Harris is the owner. It has nothing to do with I mean, Joel Embiid was hanging out with his, the guy who owns the team he plays for. Last that's, night, that's, that's, there is nothing to be made of that. And if people want to start making that a thing on social media, of all the things Joel Embiid has done in the offseason, that's not one to worry about. They had Sixers in the house last night. They had Tyrese Maxey and B-Ball Paul. Mm-hmm. They were showing right. up on the big screen. Okay. So, your boy they always have ball. people there. Um, Mike Trout would have been there if he was if if he wasn't uh, <laughs> still sitting on the sideline, not playing, traveling with the team, potentially yeah. being traded mm-hmm. in the off season. <laughs> uh, I do have to. Hey, ask. I just have one question for you sure. about the other side of the ball, meaning the Vikings. Why? Why is it? I don't like Kirk Cousins even a little bit. But why is it that everybody thinks the Vikings should trade him? Well, I think the thought is that the people who say that don't think the Vikings are going to be as good as the Vikings do. And he's in the last year of his deal. And it's unlikely that they're going to renew him. I think is that so the Vikings going to try to tank? Is that the is that what well, they're thinking? You get Justin assets. Jefferson ain't going to be happy. About no, that. but I guess the thought is you would get assets because there's a need with the Jets after Aaron Rodgers' Achilles injury. You know, if you believe in Zach Wilson Ooh, with the Jets, time out, time out there. If you're talking about Cousins to the Jets, what assets do the Jets have left? I, they I, traded all of their assets. Actually, no. They get that first-round pick back now oh, okay. because right. Aaron Rodgers didn't play. So they do have an asset that they didn't think they would have. Whether they not or not they want to spend it on Kirk Cousins, who could then leave them when supposedly Aaron Rodgers isn't going to end his career I don't know, but the ratings were huge for people that wanted to see Monday night. Did you watch at all any of it before he got hurt? No. You mean the four plays? No, you didn't watch. Actually. He, he got I, he got he got injured four plays into the game. I felt so bad for my Jet fan friends. I really did. I, I felt for them. That's yeah, okay, but if you're a Jets fan, I mean, take out an injury because you don't want anybody to ever get injured. But if you're a Jets fan, okay, you have the moment of devastation, and then as a Jets fan, doesn't like 
okay, this is what's supposed to happen as a Jets fan. <laughs> well, yes. This, 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 is, this is the life of a Jets fan. It happened on like the 20th anniversary of Vinny Testaverde tearing his Achilles. <laughs> like the well, next, that's important. The next day was was what it was. But, I mean, it was a cool atmosphere there with him. I mean, I'm not a Aaron Rodgers fan, but him running into the yeah, stadium that's a, look, with the uh, lights I, on. I don't, I don't wish injury on anyone, no, no. but I don't understand the all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers glorification. Like, was do people not pay attention to less than a year ago? No, like no, they don't. They he was a new man with the Jets. He was on hard knocks. He turned around a franchise, and look, they have a really good defense, and they they seem like they could be a good team. And now I'm listening to my Jet fan friends try and rationalize how Zach Wilson can still get it done. So if you're a Jets fan and you have the chance to get a Kirk Cousins, which I don't think that that's real. I don't think I know Minnesota's off to an 0-2 start. I think they're better than people think uh, mm-hmm. right now. I, I didn't think they were a bad team. Uh, I, I don't know who else in the that division is going to be dominant. You know, you have the Packers with a new quarterback, the, the Bears, the Bears. Like, I don't know. I don't think that they'll they'll fold at this point and mail it in. Well, I think we've talked enough football for the moment. And I think that we, it is still baseball season, and the Phillies are still in the hunt. So maybe we should uh, talk a little baseball. And if you want to talk football afterwards, we got lots of time. Let's bring on senior writer at the Allentown Morning Call, Tom Hausnick. Tom, baseball's getting to the end of the season. How are you doing today, man? Surviving. <laughs> One more homestand for the Iron Pigs, and I think we're done because they're three games back in Durham, and Durham's not losing. So no playoffs for the Pigs this year. Okay, well, then if there's no playoffs for the Pigs, why don't we – we still want to talk a little bit about the prospects, but let's talk about the other ones that are just surviving at this point, which is the Phillies. What what are you seeing out of the Phillies that that concerns you right now? Let's start with that. Concerns me. <laughs> they're, they're kind of maddening. Um, it's pretty cool that they can come, feel like they can come back from any deficit, but then it can also turn around and still blow that game. So, uh, again, I still think that – Aside from the Braves, there's nothing really certain in the National League. And that gives a lot of optimism for Phillies fans. But at the same time, they've seen what's what's gone on here for about three or four months. Um, the inconsistency in virtually every aspect of, of that team. Um, I, I got to love, uh, like I said, I love their passion, their, their enthusiasm. And there's a lot to like. Um, but there's also, you know, that fear that they could be one game at home. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot to like, especially on offense. However, nothing seems to be going right as with, with regard to pitching. The bullpen seems to be imploding. The starting pitching doesn't seem to be as strong. You wonder whether they're going to even hold up. Lorenzen had two great games and then went back to being, you know, average at best. How are they going to survive a deep run in, in the playoffs? Is it just going to be that they're going to have to hit their way to a World Series this year? There, there, there's no doubt there's going to be some games where they're going to have to do that. But I, I think, again, especially until you get to a seven-game series, you know, you've got uh, you've got Zach Wheeler, and I still believe in Nola. And you know, Christopher Sanchez has shown me a lot. I always thought highly of him when he was here, and I watched the yo-yoing kind of play games with him mentally, but I think he's finally come to terms with that, and I think we've seen, you know, a good side of him, a consistent side of him. So I think – He's a guy that they can rely on in, in a lot of different roles because that's what they've thrown at him the last few years. And I think he's a guy that's going to be valuable, whether Lorenzen comes through for what we saw in the first two starts or what we saw since. Um, I think that they have some options. And I'm I'm not as I'm not as uh, concerned about their bullpen. I think some of those guys will 
once it's crunch time, once they're in a playoff situation, I think they're going to be, some of them are going to be fine. And obviously the bullpen gets shortened. I, I like uh, Alvarado's season overall. I mean, again, we want everybody to be perfect. We want Kimbrell to not be 30 some years old and on the backside of his career. But I think once you get to the playoffs, that's a different level. And I think somebody like him has experienced a lot of that and he's going to be fine too. Well, I just want him not to tip his pitches, but I, 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 I want to just step back a second. You said something that that I don't you you feel that I don't feel at all, which is you said you still have confidence in Nola. What gives you the sense that Nola can come through in the playoffs when the season has been so up and down for him? I just think he's he's a guy who is not going to be flustered by the moment, and he's not going to say, "Oh, you know, I, I've got to throw a perfect game here. I've got to." throw perfect pitches. I just think he's a guy who will just keep his level head and realize that, you know, it is playoff time. I've been here um, and not worry about what happened in the past where he has been so up and down. It's hard to kind of figure. Um, He's just, he has the stuff. And I think that will, that will come out the same with Wheeler. I mean, I don't look at Wheeler's last start against the Braves and and get nervous. Um, He made a couple of bad pitches and to the wrong guys and he got burned. But I think come playoff time, he's going to be an ace. I don't worry Nola's not going to be up for the moment. I'm more concerned with his splits with runners on base versus bases empty. I mean, batters are hitting 214 with the bases empty, 287 with runners on, 297 with them in scoring position. I mean, he's normally between 244 and 249 for the season, and he just he looks flustered. When when there get to be runners on and the pitch clock's counting down, that's my concern. Is that of all the players on this team, he seems to be the one with Kimbrel who really hasn't adjusted to the pitch clock. I mean, there is a lot to that. There's no there's no question. I've seen it. I see it in AAA. I see when guys get sent down or they get on rehab starts and 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 they're looking around at clocks and and their minds racing and they just they can't get a rhythm. Again, I think we've seen an entire season of. Sometimes Nola can't stop things when they go when they start going downhill, and a lot of that starts with you know first and second nobody out. Um, again, I think he's going to be able to rely on his stuff and kind of find the calmness within the craziness. Why he would have that in the playoffs and not have it consistently in a regular season, I don't know. But I just I've always kind of felt that he doesn't let the moment get too big and. The bigger the moment, I think, the better he he could become. And I'm 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 just I don't know. It's it's a feeling more than it is. It's not a numbers thing because the numbers tell you the opposite. But he's one of those guys that I just I'm not worried about him. Talk to us a little bit about what you saw in Sanchez that this season turned out to be as promising as it did. What was it? What was he working on? What changed for him that he was able to turn in this kind of season, which which is pretty impressive for a fifth or sixth starter. Uh, he, he's one of those guys where I think it's more me- it was more mental than anything else. We've seen guys the last five years from Daniel De Los Santos, Cole Irvin, uh, Jake Thompson, going back to Jake, who could not get past the yo-yoing and the inconsistent work and the starter then relief and then middle relief and then an inning. And it just – he had to get past that. And I think there were some guys in that Phillies uh, clubhouse, Alvarado being one of them, I think who kind of helped him just understand that this is the way it's going to be and whatever they call on you to do, you've got to be ready. And that's the only way you're going to get to where you want to be, which is to be an everyday, you know, every fifth starter, every fifth day starter, six day starter. 
And I think he just came to a, a realization that that the only way he could get to that point was to show them that he could do whatever they asked, whenever they asked. And I think he just finally got to that point and found the confidence. And this is what we're seeing. How important were the pitching coach and the manager at AAA this year in his development? Well, I think Cesar uh, Ramos is, has that calming influence on a lot of guys. I think that's one of his strengths is that he just finds a way to to reach a guy um, and find their what works with their personality to try and get that same point across that, look, everybody wants to be in the big leagues. Everybody wants to have that role that they're comfortable with. But that's not what the Phillies may need at that particular point. Most times it's not. And you have to be ready to be able to show that you can handle any situation they throw at you before you can get to the point where you can you get to where you want to be. And I think Ramos has a way of just kind of, you know, keeping them level-headed, telling them, hey, look, this is what's going on in Philly now. You, you know, they could be calling on you to do this or that. You just have to be ready. And I think that's the same with the position players uh, we've seen, like with Weston Wilson. They, you know, the Phillies call him up, and he's not, you know, his main positions are not corner outfielders, but that's where the Phillies needed him. So he had to just be ready to say, hey, look, I'll play wherever you want. If I have to sit three days and, and get four bats, then I have to be good with that too. I've got to find a way to make that work. And I think that's what Sanchez has, has finally just found that comfort zone, knowing that what's around the corner may not be what's right in front of them. And I think um, Ramos has that good personality to kind of convey that to some of these pitchers. As frustrating as this bullpen has been at times, I wanted to focus on the resiliency of this team. Uh, you've watched a lot of baseball, a lot of different teams. Teams fold at times when they go down big in games, when they go down. This team doesn't seem to be afraid of the moment. I mean, you've got five instances where Harper ties it, but they blow it and lose it. Harper hits his 300th, they lose it. Turner hits the go-ahead. I mean, Turner and Harper going back and forth with the clutch moments. Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott, who you saw come through the system. Can you talk about the attitude of this team that they're never out of it, even if they can't hold it? <laughs> I think every player this year who has gone from AAA up and come back has said the same thing, that first of all, it is a fun clubhouse. Um, there's a lot of personalities in there. There's a lot of fun in games. I think we see that carry over into their you know, celebrations of a base hit as opposed to even a, you know, a walk-off hit. They just, they have fun playing the game. And I think that kind of rubs off on everybody, keeps everybody loose. And I think, and that turns into a fact that, hey, look, we're down five runs in the fourth inning. We have plenty of time. Uh, we're down three runs in the seventh. We have plenty of time and there's no panic. And I, that has carried over even to AAA. A lot of the guys down here, they've had, they've, again, their pitching has been horrible at times. And they have come back from some really big deficits, won some crazy games, and I think it's the same thing. They have a lot of good personality guys, a lot of good clubhouse guys, and they're just not flustered by the moment. And if and if they come back and lose, well, there's tomorrow. Now, again, the playoffs can't have that kind of attitude, but that's just what's kind of carried over from AAA to the majors. These guys have seen that. They've gone up in that clubhouse and just had a blast and just played loose and relaxed and not felt the pressure of, oh, we're down five runs. That's that's a great thing to have and to be able to to know that on any given day, if Nola doesn't have his best stuff or if you know Lorenzen gets whacked around only last three innings, we can still come back. And they've done it time and again. Talk to us a little bit about the the season. For people up here, we don't know much about Weston Wilson other than his home run. Um, Weston Wilson has had a pretty historic season down in, in Lehigh Valley. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, first of all, he is one of the, the most genuine 
uh, players I've ever met. Um, down to earth man, very humble, um, works extremely hard. Um, again, can play every position but pitcher and catcher. So he's got a lot of value. And but one thing he had uh, that you couldn't shake was he has he has a confidence in himself, a belief that he belonged in the major leagues. And all all spring and all summer, no matter how things were going for him, he went through some some you know some valleys. He believed that he was a major league player, and he played like that. He played hard every day. He prepared hard every day. And there's a lot of guys like that in the clubhouse uh, in AAA, and, and many of them didn't make it to, to the majors this year, but they never stopped them from working. Usually you get to August 1st and you start wondering, are these guys going to start to check out these minor league veterans and say, hey, look, I'm not going anywhere. What's the, what's the, what's the point in, 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 in pushing through? And But they've got a clubhouse full of guys who have just continued to do that, and they've played pretty well. And they're, you know, again, they're a playoff caliber team. But what Weston Wilson is one of those leaders. Um, Jim Haley is another one who came over from the Rays organization. They get, they have a lot of good character guys, a lot of guys who understand how to do things right. And that the hope, the hopefulness is that not only will Weston Wilson become maybe a major league, you know, a solid major league bench player, but maybe he will help push along some of these other guys who have a high ceiling and just haven't found a way to get there yet because it's about work ethic and it's about grinding through a long season. Simone Muziati has had a real good season in AAA. He was hitting 340, 350 for a long time. People were wondering why he wasn't getting called up. He has a lot of flaws. One of them is his work ethic. He's not the hardest worker. He's a great guy. He's a good teammate, but he's not the hardest worker. So having a, having him stick around Weston Wilson and Jim Haley and a whole handful of guys, you know, Scott Kingry busts his butt every day. Um, Knows, you know, knows his number was probably not getting called at all this year, but that didn't change how he how he performed and how he how he prepared. So having Muziati around a bunch of guys like that, hopefully come next year, will help him take that next step. There's no doubt he's a major league level player, Simone Muziati, but having him around these other guys will pay off in the long run if he took it to heart. Again, I think he I think he has taken some strides and in preparation, um, but he's not where Weston Wilson is. He's not where Jim Haley is or even Drew Ellis or some of these, uh, Scott Kingery. You can go on and on. This whole clubhouse, these guys have really worked hard. Two o'clock, you know, on a, for a seven o'clock game, two o'clock, there is most of the infield is out there taking uh, ground balls every day in July and August. And that says a lot about their character. That, again, they're out there working, trying to get better at their craft, they're, they're taking you know balls at different positions. Rafael Marchand, I don't know how many times he has taken balls at second and short. He has no business doing that. But just to get out there and get you know be around the guys and have some fun. And who knows, you know, Carlos Ruiz was a second baseman at one point. So the, these guys just love the game. They love working at the, their craft. And I think Weston Wilson is at the top of that list. Again, he's a guy who came here with you know never been to the majors um, but believing that he could be there and again I think he did the, the most with his opportunities there I wanted to ask about some of the arms obviously went into the season hoping Andrew Painter could be something he's recovering from his surgery uh, Mick Abel had some success also some challenges uh, talk about them a little bit and can being at AAA help Mick Abel with some of the issues that he's had this year well, what's concern what's concerning with Mick is uh, his walk numbers are are a little worse than they were last year. Uh, his last four starts uh, in Reading, fantastic, one seventeen ERA, batters hit one oh eight against him, 
but he still had 11 walks in 23 innings, even though, you know, he gave up next to nothing. That's still an ongoing thing with him. Um, he's different than Painter. When you when you talk to, to Painter, you just get a feeling like there's nothing that can shake him. The moment will never be too much for him, which is a great thing to see in a, in a teenager at the time. He's, you know, he's got a, he's got a special makeup. Mick Abel and Griff McGarry are are more similar to each other than they are to Painter in that regard. Um, you know, McAble's first start this year, he was just he got so amped up that he couldn't throw a strike if, you know, he moved 20 feet away. He just was he was too amped up, couldn't calm himself down, couldn't get out of the first inning. He's had a couple starts like that, um, where things just implode on him and he can't get things right. Obviously, Griff McGarry, since his call at the AAA, um, he had three really bad starts. Um, couldn't throw a strike. Um, it was hard to watch, and they, they pretty much shut him down. Uh, so you, they're not really sure what they have in him. The off season and, and and spring training for them, I think, are going to be very key. I think I think Mick will, you know, again get pushed to AAA, but again, they've got to work on something that allows him to repeat his mechanics, um, so that when things go a little haywire, he's not running every every batter to a full count, you know, an eight nine pitch at bat where he can't put guys away. He can't get right now. He can't get those one, two, three innings on six, seven pitches. That just doesn't happen for him. Same thing for Griff. Maybe Griff is is more suited in a bullpen role. He's not a guy who's got a lot of you know. He didn't come up as a seven, eight, nine year old as a pitcher. I mean, he was up until halfway through college. He was you know he was not a full time pitcher. So um, it's it, it just needs to kind of find out who who he is. And and Mick's got to again got to find something to to be able to repeat his mechanics. That can he's got the stuff. There's no question his stuff will play at any level. He just needs to be able to re- repeat those and maintain those the confidence that okay, I just walked a guy in four pitches. Here's how I get back on track. Um, and that's something he hasn't been able to do with any consistency. And the same thing for Griff. Johan Rojas. He, he has been a blessing, at least defensively, on this team. In my mind, he makes everybody on the field better, not just the two out corner outfielders. I think he gives confidence even to the infielders. Yet, for some reason, the Phillies are not using him consistently. Sometimes they have Christian Pache, and I know that they have Marsh here. Is there something about Johan Rojas' game? Yes, we know he doesn't have power, but he, so far he's at least hit for average up here and hit clutch. Is there something that you saw when he was down in Lehigh Valley that the Phillies see that is the reason they don't just plug him into center field right now? I think it's more about what they believe in Marsh. Um, I'm not sure about Pache. I don't, you know, again, he had an extended uh, rehab stint with us. I didn't, you know, he's, he's very athletic. Um, he can run very well. I don't understand playing Pache over Johan Rojas, but I think they are married to uh, Brandon Marsh, and there are stretches where Brandon Marsh looks phenomenal in all aspects of the game, and I get it. Now, they're, but eventually they're going to be stuck because you can't have a Rojas playing every day and Marsh playing every day. Somehow find a Schwarber at bats, and then God knows if Reese Hoskins comes back, and you have the whole thing with him and Harper at first base. They've got a lot of things to work through in the future. What I, I'm hopeful is that Rojas gets a legitimate chance, a legitimate chance come next spring that he can be the everyday center fielder. Just let it play out based on what you see, not what on what you believe in Brandon Marsh. And that's not a knock on Brandon Marsh. Again, he has shown at times that he's an everyday center fielder. He's got skills you know, that are better than most. 
But I think Rojas has kind of opened a lot of people's eyes, especially the fans saying, hey, we're, this guy just came out of nowhere from double A, and all of a sudden he just jumps right in. Not only can he play defense, but again, he is hit. Now his 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 cons his control of the strike zone, he still swings a lot of bad pitches. And I think next year you'll start to see guys, you know, opposing pitchers find that uh, figure that out, and it'll be up to him to respond to kind of, you know, get a better idea of, of, of what's a strike. And if he can do that, then I think again, the Phillies are going to be forced to play him more. Um, but I don't I don't think that's ever, that's going to happen this year. Um, but he has definitely opened eyes. I always thought he was an elite defensive player. I did not think he would hit like this in, in the major leagues right away. Well, and I had heard an anecdote that um, he had approached the manager, not demanding playing time, but sort of asking where the holes in his game were. What were the things that he has to improve on? And, and Thompson was honest with him. So hopefully he takes that and improves on it. I, I wanted to ask you about somebody who I haven't asked you about before because I don't even know how to say his first name. Um, Kirkering. Is it, <laughs> I knew it was coming. Is it Orion? <laughs> Orion? How, how do you say his first name? I, I go, I, I believe it's Orion. Okay. So Orion Kirkering has a 1.63 ERA in 50, almost 50 innings across three levels of the minor leagues with 71 strikeouts and 12 walks. And I keep reading about the guy's slider. Uh, tell me what is going on there. He, he's he's a unique story, and he's one I you know. I got on my little cheat sheet here. He's definitely one that come next spring training, he's going to be given every opportunity to be in the major league bullpen. Um, again, a guy with not a lot of innings on an arm. It's his fastball is really electric, and his slider is pretty impressive for a guy who's you know pitching in Double A still. Um, he's. He's a, he's not one of those ones again who he's got the right personality for. He doesn't seem to be um, phased by the moment, you know. And, and Redding, they've put him in, you know, a lot of late late inning, late inning situations, and he's done really well. Um, he's thrown again. The most impressive thing is with those two pitches, he's thrown strikes consistently. Um, the Phillies have a couple other guys in Double A or lower who can throw 100 miles an hour. One night it's there. One night, who knows where it's going? That's not been Ke- Keckering's. Um, makeup so far this year. He has thrown strikes with regularity and produced in, in tough late inning situations. And I think there's a lot of optimism around this guy. He's come out of nowhere. He wasn't like he was, you know, high, high draft pick and he doesn't have a lot of innings on that body. Um, he's got a great personality for that, uh, for that uh, part of the bullpen. And I think he's going to be one that the Phillies, you know, and I, who knows what, types of moves are made in the offseason and what openings there are in the bullpen. But I, I got to think that if he throws well in spring training, you're not going to say, hey, good job, go to AAA for a little while and then see what you can do. He's, you know, he's he's really good. And you take a guy like McKinley Moore, who early on was given an opportunity because of injuries in the bullpen, and, you know, he really struggled. He still has that potential to be a late-inning guy, upper 90s fastball, um, who can be really helpful with, for the Phillies. But Orion's kind of passed everybody else in the bullpen race in the, in the minor leagues as a, as one to look for to be that next guy to take that step. Uh, Moore's obviously dealt with a lot of injuries, and, and when he's come back, he's gone to double A. But I think you're seeing the future of the Phillies back end of the bullpen right there if he continues to um, keep the attitude he's got and just uh, amazing control of both those two pitches that are really lights out. All right, Tom, we got 60 seconds left. Are the Phillies going to make the playoffs? And which wild card spot are they going to have? There will be the number one wild card spot without question. Right. I don't think any of those other teams are uh, 
are good enough. Flat out. Well, we will keep talking to you as the fall goes on and, and keep talking to you about what to see, what we expect to see in the system because they're going to need it. They've got a lot of decisions to make in the offseason. You know, we'll get through this season, but they're going to need to figure out what the balance is on this roster with some of the big salaries they have. So we appreciate you always giving us some time. Tom Hausnick, uh, you have a great one. Thanks, Jason. Jeff, have a good weekend. Recording stopped. I hope he's right about Aaron Nola. I, I do not necessarily have that confidence. I, I made clear why with the question I asked, Jeff. I, I think you're kind of sailing on a boat with me with that one. Uh, look, uh, he has been inconsistent. He, by the way, he's inconsistent from year to year. I mean, we we have this like running joke that in even years he's better than in odd years, and this is an odd year. But it, it's pretty clear this year that he can't be relied upon. That doesn't mean he's not a good pitcher, but he has yet to figure out the pitch clock more than probably any pitcher, at least on the Phillies. And I, the I'll, second he the second he has a runner on base, he he has not figured out how to time this in his head. No, and it's clear. It, it's very concerning. And look, I mean, you know, you want to get to a series where you need a, a four man rotation. You don't need that right away, but if you do. Taiwan Walker's had a five ERA in his last nine starts. Michael Lorenzen's almost at an eight. I, I might go with Chris Sanchez as that fourth starter, given how everybody's pitched. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Wouldn't it be Ranger? Ranger would be the third. Wheeler, Nola, Ranger. If you get to a oh, series. Wait, wait, wait. So, so you would go you would go with Sanchez ahead of Walker? I wouldn't. Um, no way. I'm not sure. I'm well, not sure. Walker's had much more big game experience. I understand. I haven't liked the way that he started games a lot. Uh, Underst- understood, but he's also had a really good stretch this year. He's been one of your best pitchers outside of Wheeler. I don't think that you could not have him in a four-man rotation. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that he doesn't start ahead of Ranger. I will say, I, I, I think that Thompson will be loyal to his guys. So I think you're going to see... Well, what gave that away? The fact that Schwarber continues to, to lead off? He's over 200 now, Jeff. <laughs> He's what? He's over 200 now. You re- like, <laughs> you want me to be impressed? I don't. I do. You I, want me to be impressed? What, what we should be impressed with was, is Trey Turner, who has historically turned his season around from taking getting a $300 million deal and, and somehow starting off the season looking worse than the shortstop we had last year, getting cheered in a game, and he is on pace now, I think, to hit 30 home runs. Yeah, he's it's unbelievable what's happened. And look, <laughs> he's going to be here for a while, so I'm glad it happened early on. You know, you hate to see him struggle in the first place. You want him to be comfortable, but clearly – He's much more relaxed. His he's more comfortable in the field. Um, he's talked about even how his grip is looser, and you can see it at the plate. He just looks confident and free swinging, and not like he's overthinking it. So, I hope they can outslug. I hope I'm wrong about my questions about the rotation and the bullpen. Do people have pedigrees that they've been able to perform in these situations before? Yes. Have they shown it this year? At times. But at times, it's it's been a disaster, and I'm hoping that we don't have that happen come October. 
My question is, how many Philly shortstops have ever had as many home runs as Trey Turner has had in the season? Why not many? Obviously, we don't have a statistician here, but I'm guessing other than Jimmy Rollins, how many how many power hitting shortstops have we had? Well, we ever do have a statistician in Philadelphia. We do have a statistician, but he is too busy watching Deion oh, Sanders. Well, okay. well. Yeah. Out at Colorado. So if you want to check with your son in between his mm. big time football games busy. and rivalries and, you know, Coach Prime is now insulted because the other coach said, I take my hat and my glasses off. He has to find some way to motivate himself can, can, all the you time. Know, oh, well, look, the, the whole thing is stupid, <laughs> but it's stupid because Norvell is an idiot. Why would you even like, say anything? Why in, why in the world are you going to have a press conference where the thing that you're going to pick on about another coach is whether or not he wears a hat in a press conference, which, by the way, if you're going to talk about how your mom always taught you something, don't say it while you actually go into press conferences wearing a visor. Just because there's a <laughs> hole in the top. Does not make it not a hat. I thought about you when I saw that. I was like, like Jeff is it, not going to like this one. Like, how how much lack of intelligence do you have to have to pick on somebody because your thing on your head has a hole in it just, and the other ones doesn't? I just thought it's silly. Why give them anything else to motivate with? They They beat Nebraska last week. 8.7 million viewers, the most watched Pac-12 regular season game ever on Fox. Did you see what the ticket prices are up to on the sec- secondary market now? Yeah, I'm well, I'm well aware. <laughs> $517 on average? Yeah. So, so, so let me ask you a question. But go back to this Colorado State thing now because you like to talk about lines. I think the line was around 24 for this game. It probably went up. If you could get 24 points now, take, take it. it. Take because it. Because if you if you look, I'm not I'm not a run it up kind of guy. They'll run it up. But but they are going to run it up. Yes. There is no question that that Colorado will score at least 48 game, points in this game. And I know nothing about Colorado State other than for some reason they felt it necessary to taunt the coach and the kids have bought in. I mean, for whatever we think and I am not a Deion Sanders fan. Whatever we think, these players will run through a wall for him. Especially his own son, who's the quarterback. Yeah. And and so, you know, last week they were offended by something Matt Rule said in the offseason. And now they have this guy that he and this for for people outside of the state of Colorado, this is just so you know, this is like a big deal. It doesn't mean that the games are often close. It's just a. This is their in-state rival, yes. And they haven't played them in a few years, and they will be more than happy. Like Deion Sanders has no history with Colorado, yet somehow he has found a way to incorporate history into all of this, and to make Colorado not just a good school for two games, but he's like adding this aura of. Colorado was a football powerhouse. Now, they won a national championship in the 90s. You talk about that. They have everybody from both pregame shows. Like Fox and Fox doesn't even have the game, and they're staying for a second week of the pregame show. ESPN's ESPN's doing several shows today. Yeah, there's shows from there today. There's the show tomorrow. 60 Minutes is there. So, like, it's we talk about when – 
uh, sports culture reacts to the team. We talk about it in the context of Philadelphia regularly and how we go up and down based on the performance of the team. What you're seeing out at Colorado is kind of awesome. They're they're excited for something that they haven't had. Even when they won it in the past and the success under McCarthy, this is different. This this is a different level of scrutiny and attention and flair that they are going about it with. And I I mean the talent that they have on that team. You can critique the process, the turnover, of the roster, but the players they brought in have bought in, like you said. Yeah, it's it is transformational what's happening out there, and who knows? I mean, after this game, they have games against Oregon and USC, so who knows what's going to happen? Yes, they beat a TCU team that was in the, the national finals last year, but it's not the same team. It did not have the same quarterback. Nebraska is their bitter rival, but Nebraska wasn't isn't great. Colorado State's not great. So you're really the real test is going to be coming up when you play Oregon and USC back to back. By the way, the Pac twelve, which has two members left, is right now the best conference. <laughs> There's a consolation prize for them. <laughs> is, but isn't that bizarre? I mean, look, this is the last year that you know. 10 of the 12 schools are going bye-bye after this year, but they're having a banner beginning of the year. Uh, Who's not having a banner beginning of the year? Some college coaches. Um, You had what happened at Northwestern. Mel Tucker is now suspended. Uh, Whether or not he'll be Former Colorado coach who left in the middle of the night. Well, he says they're trying to get out from his guaranteed contract. Uh, His accuser says that he made sexual advances to a sexual advocate. He says it's consensual. Either way, it's he's suspended right now. And then did you see the lawsuit against Lane Kiffin that's out there? No, now? I did not. I, what did Lane Kiffin allegedly do now? Kicked a player off the team for missing practices during a mental health crisis um, is what the allegation is. Uh, but in it, so he says that he had injuries that caused depression, then his grandmother died. He mm-hmm. recorded Kiffin without Kiffin's knowledge. There's audio of mm-hmm. the exchange. I can't read some of the words that he said. Like It, it ended with, uh, what bleeping world do you live in by Kiffin? Rollins, the player, said, I don't see why you have to be disrespectful, honestly. And Kiffin said, get out of here. Go, you're off the team. You're done. See it. Go, and guess what? We can kick you off the team. Go read your bleeping rights about mental health. We can kick you off the team for not showing up when the head coach asked to meet and you don't show up for weeks. It's called being a bleep. It's called hiding behind bleep and not showing up to work. (laughs) Audio and video, you know this as an attorney, Jeff, are very damning. Um, it gets to the larger issue of you saw this week in basketball Dartmouth attempt to unionize. You have mm-hmm. players getting paid. You have challenges about what their obligation. I just think you're moving in this direction of the players are going to be employees at some point and there's going to be a union because of well, all we're, we're, of these different issues. 
were you surprised by that? Jim Harbaugh decided to, to make this an, a national issue during a press conference a couple of weeks ago as a shot against the NCAA. The fact that a bunch of smart kids from Dartmouth decided to be the first is well, they're not, not the first. North, Northwestern tried years ago, right? And and there will be other attempts, but I think the landscape is well. Changing. It's got to be national. It, it can't it can't be school by school. We we have enough problems state by state with what the recruiting rules are, what the NIL rules are, what every all these rules. That's the problem with all this. Is you there is nothing nationalized about the NCAA. The transfer rules. I mean, we talked about. Right. Brown's reaction last week. Scholarship rules. It, it, it's, you know, conferences have their own sets of rules. It, it, this is this is a mess. But this was a mess of the NCAA's own making and the president's own making and athletic director's own making. This was something everybody saw coming and coming and nobody decided to step up and say, here's what we're going to do. Let's all get together. Let's figure it out. There's going to be some things we like and some things we don't. But we have to figure this out before it becomes this mess. And everything becomes reactive because nothing was proactive. Where's the impetus to change it, though? Because they're making so much money. They're getting these TV deals. So what's going to make them change? Yes, we see all these problems, but the plane's still flying. It hasn't crashed yet. The the fact is, as long as you're not proactive, you may make something more in the short term, but you are going to make less in the long term. You, you may have been able to kick this can down the road for a couple minutes, but the fact is, at the end of the day, this is just like with the NIL thing, it's going to be worse instead of better. That's why it's better to be proactive and deal with it before you have to just react to it. And that's what the NCAA has always been about. There are certain leagues and certain administrations that handle things proactively, and then there are some, like the NFL as well, that handle things reactively. It's funny to me. I'm not used to seeing some of the games on the channels that we've seen them on. So, like, I'm, I'm watching the, the Big Ten on, like, CBS in the afternoon. I'm used to seeing Big Ten basketball on CBS, the Big Ten on ESPN or ABC. Just these new TV deals, and it continues to change. And you just wonder where it all goes next. I mean, we, we've got about two minutes left, so... Are you enjoying the games as much with all of this nonsense flying around it? Or, or like, do you sit down and watch Michigan and you just don't think about the realignment or who's in the division and yes. how far they're going to travel? In order to be a college sportsman, you have to be a hypocrite. That's okay. what I've concluded. You have to sit there and you have to complain about this thing. I have so many of my buddies from college that sit there and said, you know what? This is the year I'm not watching anymore. And then by kickoff, I get go blue texts. From those people, the same people who say that they're not going to sit down and watch it. It's really hard to watch it because of the rules and the way that these people act. And this, but the fact is, they do it. We all do it because because and this is why I think we took a couple weeks ago. We talked about the difference between pro sports and college sports and how you're investing it because you got your degree from there. You became an adult there, and and so it's hard to detach yourself from that information, and it's hard to detach yourself from the passion that you had. When you became, went from a, a young person to an adult. Like, you know, I'm a known hypocrite and just watch everything. So I don't even question it. But do you go out there and say, do you even go through the stage of, I'm not going to watch this like your friends do? Or do you just kind of acknowledge it and you, you watch it and it's like, whatever? Because mm-hmm. we talk about this stuff a lot. Do you, right. like, does it carry over for you? 
It doesn't yeah. for me. Other than Why? I'm confused Why? by... Why does it not carry over for you? Because I watch the game and I enjoy the football game. And I love seeing the atmosphere of the game. And, and after the game, I think this is ridiculous of what channel it's on or, or who they're playing. But during the game, I, I don't think about it. It's I don't find myself compartmentalizing life that way, but I do here. So you're talking about tradition is what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, tradition's gone. Yeah. It really is. And like, I'm not like the I, traditionalist on the show. but I am. Yeah. But I, but I, but I've resigned myself to the fact that tradition is over the fact that that look i grew up in an era i went to a college in an era where going to the rose bowl was the most important thing in the world as opposed to a national championship and now the team that i saw michigan play i think three out of four years i was in college is now in the same conference that's like tradition is gone US, USC was the team that we played at least a couple years that I was in college and in the Rose Bowl. And next year, they're going to be in another division or however they're going to set it up in my conference. That's going to be it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work.